I knew guys that played for a lot of big colleges. I knew guys that played for a lot of schools and had great success. But the mindset of their schools and the stories you hear are, man, if you didn't start for us, we didn't talk to you. And, you know, the faith that we had in our guys coming up behind us was always great. And, and guess what? If there's somebody who needed a little help, just like people did it for me when I was undersized, you know, Frank Garrett, like I said, Scott Gregg, guys pulled me along, guys taught me a lot. Chad Lemke, you know, when I was sitting there getting beaten up by Chad Lemke, he was a middle linebacker when I was on my my red shirt ear. And, and the things I learned from him uh, about toughness and how if you're not ready, someone's going to come and rattle your chicklets for you. You know, all these things, we tried to do that for the kids behind us and and teach them, hey, this is what it means to be a Grizz, and this is this is the expectations for you. Dave Kempfer grew up in Missoula, and he was as close to the UM Athletic Department as any kid in the Garden City. His father, Al Kempfer, was an administrator in the Athletic Department, and his brother, Matt Kempfer, was a top basketball player for Blaine Taylor's men's Grizz basketball team. When Dave Kempfer joined Don Reed's Grizz, he rapidly carved out a reputation all his own. The center was a senior in 1995 and earned All-American honors, helping anchor the interior of an offensive line that featured a total of three All-Americans. Like so many before him, Kempfer came to Montana on a partial scholarship and left. As a memorable figure in Grizz history, his intellect, his grit, and his toughness on the interior of the offensive line played crucial factors in Montana winning their first national championship in 1995 in the Missoula native. Incredibly proud of the legacy he left as a Grizzly. Please enjoy Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions featuring former University of Montana center Dave Kempfert, a Missoula native. We are happy now to welcome into Grizz Greats, the 25th anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, the man who was the center for that football team, a junior in the 95 season and obviously graduated then in 1996, Dave Kempfert with us. Dave, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we understand you're in Tennessee now. We'll get into what's going on there, but how long you lived in, uh, in Tennessee? Hey, thanks for having me. Um, we've been down here, I guess, about... 18 years now. Um, love it. You know, Missoula, Montana is the hardest place in the world to move away from. It's still home. Um, and, and it's tempting to always try and find a way back uh, and find time to get back when you can, um, especially when, you know, your family's there and they send you these pictures. And, and that'll always be home to me. But we, we've lucked out. We found a great place. It's a great place to raise kids down here. And, and the work has been good and, and just a, a, another lovely place to live for us. Well, we'll get into it, but I got to say, if you're not in Montana, being in or around Nashville is pretty good. I've spent 18 hours, and they were glorious hours in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> I had a grand evening once upon a day in Nashville. Yeah, it's, it's a great place, and, and even my Montana family, you know, everybody is all over you when you move away from Missoula, and, and rightly so, I guess, but but uh, even my family that comes down here and, and, you know, they come down, well, how could you move? How could you move? And then they spend some time down here and they're like, man, we get it. That's, that's a pretty special spot too. So we're lucky. There's a lot to be done around here. There's definitely some city and some, some, uh, some things to get into. And, and, but there's also a lot of beautiful country and, and places to get away. Uh, a lot of little beautiful lakes and things too. So uh, it, it's uh, kind of the best of both worlds to, and a good compromise between my Florida wife and I. So it worked out well. Well, happy wife equals happy life, right? Well, the only time I've ever been to Tennessee, go, it's right. The only time why I've ever been to Tennessee was when the Grizzlies played in the national championship in Chattanooga uh, in 2008, 2009. But it seemed to me that the people of Tennessee, they're sort of similar to the people of Montana. It's, it's the most friendly place I've ever been besides Montana. Do you see the parallels? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's very great down here. I mean, people, it's, it's, it, and I think we really saw a lot of it, especially when you're in a big city. We had these floods several years back that were awful. Obviously, things going on like the pandemic this year. And, and any time that something is hit Nashville hard or the surrounding areas hard, I mean, there's tornadoes down here, which obviously I never had to worry about before in Montana. Um, but, uh, but you really see people rally and have the same heart as you would expect in, in a smaller town. And, and I see a lot of people rally to help each other out. I mean, uh, you know, there's been times there's been tornadoes down here and I've, I've worked for, for people who, you know, they were sleeping two, three hours a night because they're up all night helping their neighbor out and trying to find resources for people and take care of, take care of each other. And it definitely has a, a more of a small town feel as far as how people react to each other and, and the, the, the friendliness, neighborliness of everything down here. And, and that's one of the reasons why I love it. Well, Dave, let's uh, let's bring you back to uh, Montana. You came to Missoula when you were three years old, so I think that counts as your whole life. Uh, you grew up in, yeah. in Missoula, and in fact, you came to Missoula, you said, from, from California because your dad went to work at the University of Montana, so you grow up in Missoula, you go to Hellgate High School, and the arrow is pretty straight in terms of pointing you to the University of Montana and why you would go there, but first of all, let's go back to Hellgate High School because Hellgate in recent years has really struggled in football. Now, they've gotten better now in the the last couple of years and it's fun to see that program a little bit revitalized but when you were playing at Hellgate High School I mean it's a very good state contending state champion level football team what do you remember about high school in Missoula at Hellgate High there in the in the early 90s you know it was a great place to play um was lucky enough to play in some great teams there uh we actually played for the state championship against Butte um my senior year and uh unfortunately lost in Butte um Randy Riley and Brian too and some some future Grizzlies that, that obviously I played with, uh, you know, have reminded uh, Mike Boucher and I, who was an old Hellgate guy several times of that fact that we, we didn't get it done in the state championship game against them. Uh, so that brought on some laughter years later. But but uh, it was a great place to go to school, obviously. Um, you know, uh, was lucky enough to have some success there, but it was definitely nice to, to kind of be around the university with my dad playing there. Um, my brother, you know, obviously played basketball there too, and, and so to be able to be into the Grizzly family, even when I was still in high school, um, it made it, that was my only choice. And, and that's the only thing I want to do is be a Grizz. You know, you, you're a little kid playing football in the backyard and with your Nerf football and your, your cheap fake NFL helmets as a kid. And, and everybody else wants to, you know, pretend they're, you know, Seattle Seahawks or the 49ers. And, and I remember I would always pick, I'm the Grizzlies. And they're like, come on, man, we're playing NFL. I'm like, no, I'm the Grizzlies. And that's all I ever wanted to be. And, and so for me to become a Grizz eventually was, was a dream come true. Your high school football coach, Van Troxel, a guy that uh, is quite revered in the coaching business and a guy that has helped so many different guys from his time at Hellgate, his time at Coeur d'Alene, uh, reach the next level. What do you remember about Coach Troxel? I mean, because he comes from a long line of coaches. His dad, Ed Troxel, was a longtime coach at the University of Idaho. I know Van has a lot of prestige in the coaching world. What do you remember about playing for Coach Troxel? Oh, he was great. And, and he was, for me, what I was blessed enough to be surrounded by a lot of my career was I was always kind of an undersized guy for linemen or there was guys that were thought to be better athletes and, and, and rightly so at, at certain stages of my career. And, and he always believed in me and uh, was encouraging to me and, and gave me great opportunities and, um, and uh, just had a lot of fun playing under him. Just he was, he was a fired up guy and he'd have meditation day. We'd all lay down in the on the floor of the study hall and, and he'd let us listen to inspirational tapes and, and, uh, and then he'd get out on the field and be fired up and spitting and sweating with the rest of us. And, 
just was a great guy to play for and uh, and was really thankful for my time at Hellgate. It sounds like a little Phil Jackson level style there, a little, a little Zen master thing going. <laughs> he had that. that. That was kind of unexpected from him at the time, but he switched it up on us after we'd been been in uh, high school a few years, and and uh, and we had a blast. We just did. He was he was a great guy to play for, and obviously uh, a lot of respect for for Coach Troxel and, and his lineage of, of his family and what they've done for football. So, you met your brother Matt. Were you a basketball player growing up too in high school? I was not. You know, I I got cut from the freshman high school basketball team, which ironically was coached by Coach Troxel. Oh, wow. And uh, it didn't make me very happy. And I probably should have been cut. I don't think that was my game. Um, but uh, but I remember it ticked me off enough that a couple other football players made that team. I said, well, if I can't be a basketball player for him, then I'm definitely going to be one of his best football players. And and uh, so it, it lit a little fire into me at a, at a very young age to, to prove myself uh, to him that I was an athlete. So he uh, he was always, uh, like I said, a great encourager to me in football. But he did light a little bit of a fire under a young Dave Kemper to get out there and, and prove to him that I could be a top guy in another sport. Remind me now, who's older, you or Matt? Matt is. Matt's by a couple of years. Okay. So it's funny, though, because a lot of times brothers, they gravitate towards the same sport. It sounds like you guys kind of started taking different paths a little bit even early on in high school, though. But what do you remember about growing up with a brother a couple years older that was also an outstanding athlete who had similar dreams of playing for the Grizz? Oh, it, it was great. Matt, again, my brother's he's, he's somebody I'm so close to. I, I love him to death. He was a great, great encourager to me. Um, but he was a brother. He was very blunt. He was, you know, there's times I'm like, gosh, I wish he would have, would have, you know, not been quite so hard on me at times with, with telling me what I, you know, I didn't necessarily want to hear, but gosh, he was laying out the truth. And, and he would tell me like, Hey, if you, if you want to step up your game, even though he didn't play football, he's like, this is what you got to be ready for. This is what you got to be prepared for. And, and he was right. And, uh, but in the you know even when he would tell me some hard honest truths about how I needed to step my game up, um, he was always encouraging to me. Always told me like, hey, you're going to have down days when you first start, and um, and and really just kind of pumped me up in a lot of ways uh, to to build that confidence that I might not have had like I should have at a younger age. And um, it was just so neat to follow in his footsteps. I mean, and, and to be able to be that close to your brother in school, not only in high school and, and follow each other's careers and be able to watch each other every night, but um, but in college to do the same thing. I mean, you know, when basketball season would start later in the football season, and it was it was the norm for him to go watch me play in, in the mornings, and and then I go watch him play at night, and we get to hang out in the evenings together. So just could not have had a, a better experience as far as being that close to family in my hometown that I loved, and playing for the team that we always wanted to play for. Now, where does the size come from? Because you and your brother are both big dudes. So it, was your dad a big guy too? Yeah, Big Al was about six two, um, and uh, he played ball. But you know, I, I look. He was a, he was a good athlete. My dad actually uh, went to Cal Lu and uh, California Lutheran, um, and was a three sport guy, and actually made the Hall of Fame down there um, in sports. And and it was a smaller college, but he was a good athlete. But he, I don't know where the size came from. Really, my mom's not real tall. She's about five eight, five eight and a half, I think. So I ended up about six four, but we don't know where Matty came from. Matt, you know, Matt's a good six eight and a lot bigger. And he was he was big brother. So I'm the small boy in the family for sure. It's small at six five two eighty. That's that's pretty good. You know, you got a big big brother when, <laughs> when that's the case. 
Your business network infrastructure includes computers, servers, routers, cybersecurity, data backup, and more. Things can become very complex very quickly. Blackfoot Communications offers a managed services solution to cover your network, security, and communication needs. Blackfoot Managed Services. You focus on your business. We'll focus on your technology. Call us at 406-541-5000 or visit blackfootbusiness.com today. Blackfoot Connect to more. Take us through when you were first making your decision to come to Montana. Sounds like it was a no-brainer. You wanted to be a Grizz your entire life. and uh, But what was the process like in terms of earning that opportunity? I mean, at that time, I know Montana, they were recruiting in-state heavily, and it seemed like they were cleaning up on the in-state guys. And, and you mentioned those guys from Butte, but we've talked to so many guys throughout this podcast series, so many of whom have Montana roots. But what do you remember about the reputation of the Grizz in the state at the time? And what was that memory like when, when you actually realized, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get this opportunity to go play for that program? Yeah, it was, it was really – I mean, I was a, I was a very low-recruited low kid. Um, and I think rightly so. I, I, I don't think I'd come into my own yet. I was still growing. And my, both my brother and I didn't mature real early. And, and I was still growing into college as far as height-wise went to and, um, and definitely weight. But, uh, but it was, you know, it was one of those things where the, Montana is, is where everybody wanted to go. Um, we've had, you know, dominance over the cats. Um, for me, obviously there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to stay, but, but when you talk to other recruits around the state, that's where we all wanted to go. Um, and I think, uh, it was neat when we all started coming together and you started, you know, hearing kids talking to other kids at, at sporting events about who's getting recruited and, and where you wanted to be and how many opportunities kids had. And for me, I, I didn't have any other offers, uh, at the one double A level, everything else was, was division two or lower. Um, and so, we took a, we went to a football camp at Idaho um, when I was in high school. And then I actually went to uh, one of the Grizz camps. And uh, I think that's kind of what maybe hopefully put me on their radar a little bit more. And, and I knew that was going to be my only shot is just to get myself in front of them as much as I could show them how hard of a worker I was, even if I wasn't as big as some of these other guys, these other recruits um, and hoping they would take a gamble on me. And they did. And, and uh, you know, that's the biggest dream come true right there is to, to stay in your hometown and be part of, of, you know, what your dad already is a part of and what your brother's a part of and what you've always wanted to be. Um, I mean, it just being, I mean, I remember being at the old Dorm Blazer Stadium and helping them paint those bleachers green and, and getting splinters in your butt at the games and, and, and just running around as a kid out there and, and thinking, you know, it was, the, it was the greatest show on earth at that time. And here it was at the old Dorm Blazer and all beat up and not the greatest facilities, but it didn't make any difference to me, uh, you know. Uh, you got to watch the old Grizz play and, and, you know, you'd heard names like, you know, Salonen and those guys for years. And it's, it's all you wanted to be. Um, and so it was really, really exciting uh, when I knew that that was going to get, a, I was going to get an opportunity to do that. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that very thing because you, you obviously have memories going back to Dornblazer. And as you just said, actually working out there and in certain ways, getting the field ready and that kind of thing. When Washington Grizzly opened up, though, in 1986, you're in middle school getting ready for high school. What did you think about that place, like when it opened up? And did that just make the dream even greater when you're like, wow, look at this place? Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd never seen anything like that before. And, and again, it was, that, was, that was your goal. That was your dream. That's where you started now picturing yourself playing um, and getting an opportunity someday to, to put on the copper, silver, and gold. And, uh you know, my dad would, I had old Grizzly helmets around the house and bumper stickers were all over my room and my folders that I took to school and ever since middle school. And, and 
So to see that stadium go up and to be out there sitting in the, the grass end zone sometimes and other times dad sneaking you in places and letting you see the weight room and, and all that. I mean, it just, it just kept feeding the fire that, gosh, this is, this would be the ultimate place to play. And, and, uh, and you, you know, I, I still remember that as players day to day. And, and when you became a Grizz and you actually started walking those hallways, um, it was just such an emotional experience almost every day to, to, to be in there and to, to think you're going to get to be a part of what so many people had put so much effort into. Um, and not only just the ball players, but the coaches that had come and gone, the community that always supported it. Uh, I got to see a lot of the, the behind the scenes work with my dad, you know, working for the booster club and then eventually being the assistant, the athletic director, he was in charge of corporate sponsorships and, and just the, the, the fundraisers and the community uh, rallying around the Grizzlies and, and helping to, to not, you know, obviously Dennis Washington, I mean, what an unbelievable gift. Um, and to, to see that place go up and be built and, and having that kind of behind the scenes look of what it really takes to, to not only build a football program like that, but to actually build the facilities. And it just gave you a real appreciation um, for every day of, of where you were getting a chance to play. Well, let's bring it back to football a little bit. You mentioned, you know, you were maybe not highly recruited and a, and a little bit undersized, kind of a late bloomer. What was it like when you first, you know, got to be on the team, but no guarantee that you're going to play maybe at any point necessarily? And what was the process like for you to try and grow into your role into an offensive lineman that you became, but especially in those first couple of years to be, you know, on the team? But what work had to go in to get you to a point where, you know, you could be not just a, a, a player, but a great defense, a Division One level football player? Yeah, you know, Mick Denny, he laid down the gauntlet for me pretty quick. And when I was getting recruited, he was like, hey, you know, I, I got a very small partial scholarship. And, uh, and again, rightly so at that point, I hadn't proven anything. But um, he had kind of laid down some, some weight goals for me and, and, you know, had been very honest and said, listen, you know, I believe in you. I think you can do this, but this, this is what I expect out of you. And um, the expectations were very, very clear. And I remember going in and, I think they gave me Steve Premock, who was an old lineman there. They gave me his bag of gear the first day, and, and Steve was a heck of a lot bigger than my little 230 frame, I think I was my freshman year. And, and uh, you know, nothing fit. I had to embarrassingly go back and say, man, I, I need a smaller gear because uh, everything was too large. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but for me, it was just, you know, I had always been kind of uh, – there's always been other guys ahead of me, put it that way, and guys that people thought about more and expected were going to make it more. And, and I just had started to kind of come into my own, started building confidence. And, and with, the, with the help of the coaching staff and, and playing with such a great group of guys, I just decided that, you know, there may be guys that work as hard as me, but, but nobody's going to outwork me. Um, so I would sit in the dorms, and I had to gain so much weight. And I'd sit in the dorms, and I remember opening up three cans of tuna fish and a jar of peanut butter and just sitting there and just spooning myself anything I could to try and gain weight that first year, um, hitting the weight room every chance I got. Uh, you know, watching guys like Scott Gregg and Frank Garrett and, and guys that were on the team and seniors and or older, older you know, upperclassmen at that time um, and just trying to watch them learn as much as I could and, and definitely took my beatings that first year but tried to learn from every one of them. Do you remember how much you weighed when you first got to Montana? I played, I played off at the tackle in high school at maybe 210 dripping wet. So I think when I got to Montana, I might have been 230, 235. So I was definitely undersized. I, I hid under a lot of big quilted flannels and things that first year because I, I was a little embarrassed that I was the smallest lineman. So, so uh, 
later on that wasn't a problem I, I definitely came into my gut years later but but at that time yeah I was I was definitely undersized but you know what I, I wouldn't have changed it for anything um, I remember Scott Curry coming in and and talking to him when he was young about his size and and just telling him like hey listen it, it made me a better player because I had to get good at technique I didn't have as much beef to throw around as some of these guys and and uh, it did. It made me good at technique. And then later on when the strength came and the size came and I started gaining weight and, and, and maturing, you know, and learning the game better, it, uh, it made all the difference in the world that I think that I had started undersized. It, it gave me a fire. It made me work harder than, than, than a lot of people. And, and I think it, it made me the player I was. From a physiology standpoint, I know you work now and you've worked a long time in physical therapy in, in that neck of the woods. But it seems to me there's two different kinds of theories for developing offensive linemen. One is recruit big guys and try to teach them how to move and teach them how to be athletic, or recruit tall, lanky guys and tell them, hey, you already got the athleticism, get big. It seems like the second one has had a lot more success, particularly at this level of football, the University of Montana, Montana State, those schools. Why do you think that is, and do you feel like you're kind of an example of that? I think, yeah, I I think, I think you're right. I think from what I've seen in my experience, uh, not that there hasn't been guys that started big and were fantastic players, but, but I would much rather, I mean, I got a 14 year old son right now and, and I think about it with him all the time. And I would much rather have someone who's got a little bit of a mean streak, um, knows how to turn that switch on and is an athlete um, and has the, has the frame. And and I think you got to be able to move. And I think people are really learning now that, you know, you can get big, but you got to have that athleticism. You got to have, ankle mobility and you know I look at it as a PT now of course I can't help but look at the world through through those lenses now and I look at you know ankle mobility hip mobility and and obviously you know you always work on the things like playing with good pad level and and footwork and and I just think that some of that stuff just doesn't come naturally to a lot of kids and and so they have to rely a little bit on it more on their size uh my son for example he's he's a big kid for his age but he's by far not the biggest out there but he wears a men's 15 shoe he's 14 years old he's coming up just just coming up on about six foot right now but there's kids that outweigh him 30 40 pounds and I'm in the stands and dads are like boy your kids got to get you know get the weight on him and he should come in at this weight next year and and I kind of like nod and say oh sure he'll get there and, and in my mind I'm like nope you know I, I, I don't care about him you know he's got to gain weight he'll, he'll do it in his own time but watching him get better footwork and play with great pad level and 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 be an athlete and of course number one thing is, is still have fun um, and not not make it too much pressure on him, and and, and I think that uh, he, he's going to come along just fine. And, and and in the back of my mind, I'm not worried about it because I know it, it can be done. Well, with a size 15, he's like a weeble, right? He's not going anywhere. He just kind of bounce around a little <laughs> yeah. bit, but just pop right back up. He's like a big puppy right now. Yeah, he's 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 got a good base. We just got to work on getting a little more in the caboose and. and <laughs> He'll be able to list some things here soon, I think. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, this is – I've been really excited to talk to you specifically, Dave, because we've talked to a couple of guys on the offensive line, Mike Agee and others, already. But for you specifically as the center and and kind of the you know the quarterback of the offensive line and you, you, you and Dave obviously working very close together in terms of play calls and protections and all that kind of stuff, but within the system that was Don Reed's you know, uh, you know, offense – and uh, and and the really cutting edge offense that it was. What was it like to play center for the Grizzlies and for him as a coach during that time? With what all, all the things that you were doing offensively? Yeah, I mean, you could not have played in a more fun offense. And and I'll tell you what, you know, you mentioned Mike Agee there, but but the guys that I played next to, 
um, are such a big part of, of, of why I loved what I did and, and not just being a Grizzly, but particularly being a Grizzly with those guys. Um, a lot of them grew up like I didn't had dreams of, of becoming a Grizz. Some guys came from out of state, obviously. Um, but what a great group of guys to play with. And, and I learned a lot from, from, from them as well. And so when I got moved to, to center, uh, I was, a, like I said, I was a uh, tackle in high school and, and I, I figured that probably I was going to get moved inside, but I got moved to center. I'd never played center. Um, and it was a struggle at first, uh, just, you know, different footwork and, and then learning how to read defenses more than you ever had to in high school. And um, just lucky I had the teachers that I had uh, poured over film, could not get enough film. Uh, I still annoy my wife with how I watch the NFL and, and college games. So I'm constantly rewinding. <laughs> my son loves it too. We watch, we watch all the details, man. That's just what linemen do, but, but uh, we don't watch the running back at all. We're watching footwork and first steps and all these things, but, but uh but moving to center was great. It was, it was definitely difficult at first, but really kind of when I was able to come into my own a little bit towards my, you know, the end of my sophomore year. Um, and it was just a blast. It was a fun offense. It was a freewheeling wide open offense. Um, and obviously we used our short passing game a little bit more like the run game. I know if we had a, a hundred yard rusher, man, we were, we were just blown out of the water that we had a guy get that many yards cause we didn't run the ball that much. Um, but, uh, but a fun offense to play in and, and especially with our screen game and some of the other things we did um, it was really, really nice when it came around to playoff time, because you got a lot of these Southern teams that would come up and, and never seen anything like us before. And um, even though they had great athletes and great teams, I think that's why we were able to dominate it as much as we did in those, those last few years I was there. Well, Dave, I got to tell you, listening to your th- thoughts on how you and your son watch football we need to get together and watch some football because i've been dreaming of finding somebody like you i'm an old center myself and uh okay. watching it watching with all these guys that only watch the quarterbacks and the receivers like ryan it's a little bit annoying we actually have a game on our show yeah. we have a game on our show where uh, every time i say offensive line uh, ryan's sister participates in uh, some form of extracurricular activities because she she thinks it's so funny how much i talk about the offensive line and doesn't understand why but i'm trying to tell everybody this is the main point to football right yep yep that's, that's the only that's who starts it starts and ends everything man it all comes up front and and I was so great. I'm not going to lie. Like my kid is a baseball player. He's done some dance. He does theater. He does all these things. And he quit baseball at about nine, said it wasn't his game and didn't want to do it anymore. And he just really wanted to dive into football. And, and the, you know, I know how bad I hurt in the mornings when I get up sometimes and I'm like, dang it, stick with baseball son. But I'm not going to lie. Like my, my heart was full when my son said he wanted to play football and, and he's ended up being a lineman so far. And, and you never know what's, what's going to happen, but he, uh, he loves it. He loves the position and he knows that real men play with their hand in the dirt and, just makes me makes me happy every day knowing that that he enjoys it and, and loves it just as much as I did because I would not have wanted to play any other position. I love it. Well, the the so often people think that the snapping of the ball is the most challenging part of playing center, but once you get the muscle memory of the snapping down, that's completely secondary to the pre-snap analysis and and memorizing the scheme and knowing how to read defenses on the fly. Did that part come naturally yeah. to you? You know, I. I the mental part of the game was tough at first. Um, the, uh, you know, everybody has some snaps and I'm sure Denny, he, you know, can still cringe at some of the bad ones I had in my career, but, uh, but the mental part of it did start to come. And I'm telling you the, the guys next to me, I, I probably didn't have to direct as much as a lot of centers do because I had such intelligent guys next to me. Um, you know, Mike Agee and Jeff Selk and I, for example, 
you know, we got to play together, you know, three years and start together three years. And, you know, by the time you're, you're towards the end of your junior year and through your senior year, I mean, you know each other so well and they know the calls and, and we made more dummy calls and things like that than we probably needed to make regular calls sometimes because um, we just knew each other so well and, and we knew each other's strengths and we all have weaknesses. We knew the other guy's weaknesses against certain types of players and, and we could adjust. And, and I think that's one of the things that gave us some great success. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, is sponsored by First Security Bank and Coulter. While First Security has long been a supporter of the University of Montana and UM Athletics, people might be surprised to know how much First Security Bank, in fact, influenced the University of Montana program and the path they were on directly. Back in 1993, the Grizz were on their way to their second-ever berth in the Division I AA playoffs. Previously, in 1989, the only other time Montana had made it to the Division I AA playoffs. And at that time, first-round home games awarded via a bidding process. And so to help support the Grizz football team, as well as fortify the faith throughout the community of Missoula, Bill Boucher, former president of First Security Bank, stepped up to the table to help the University of Montana guarantee any potential revenue lost for the first round of the playoffs. And of course, that was recouped in a big way as the University of Montana in 1993 then started the first of 17 straight playoff berths. And in 1995, that local optimism was turned into national prominence as Montana made a run all the way to the 1995 National Championship. First Security Bank is proud to sponsor Grizz Greats and this 25-part podcast series commemorating the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions for Security Bank, a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. You know, the center quarterback relationship is always, I think, an, an interesting one to think about, but especially with this team and Dave Dickinson, obviously a senior uh, in that 95 season, but he was behind you, you know, under center for, for a couple of years with you as the starter. What was it like working with him and how much time did you two spend specifically on, you know, on, on the aspects of the game that are important to have in sync for, for a center and a quarterback? Well, I like to, I like to say I'm an intelligent guy, but I know compared to Dave, I, I pale by comparison. That guy playing with him was was just an absolute blast. He he was such a good competitor and so hard nosed, um, but just had this great intelligence and just knew when to be in your face and spur you on and 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 needing to pull the team along with him a little bit, but also knew when to 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 settle back, give compliments, uh, and 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 just was a blast to play with him. Um, Again, he, he, he led so much. He was obviously our leader. Um, and uh, don't know, I mean, I was lucky enough to play some ball, obviously, with other quarterbacks and, and uh, in college and later on. And, and don't know if I've ever been around somebody like Dave uh, that was so much of the, the whole package. And to work with him and to, to, to learn from him and, and to all of us, you know, have a leader like him was, was definitely a treat and, and obviously one of the reasons we had our success that we had. You know, I'm interested in the mindset that you had or your perception of the mindset of your team in general heading into that 95 year because you graduated a great, great class in the 94 season, including, of course, Scott Gregg. But you had uh, only 12 returning seniors. One, of course, is Dave Dickinson, but a great junior class that year in 95. What, what do you remember about going into that year, whether it was expectations, aspirations, or just you know general confidence and belief about, about where you guys were at and what you could do? Yeah, you know, it's funny because you think you would have concerns or, you know, 
being my age now, you think you'd remember, you know, oh, yeah, we had some concerns on, concerns on this or that. But I don't really remember at this time. It's not coming back to me that we were that worried about it. I mean, you always had some, some holes you know needed to be filled. But, but I think that's in the tradition of the great Grizzlies is, is we always kind of had the mindset of you don't have to, you know, rebuild, you reload. And, and, and one of the great things, and, and to backtrack just a little bit, is I knew guys that played for a lot of big colleges. I knew guys that played for a lot of schools and had great success. But the mindset of their schools and the stories you hear, are, man, if you didn't start for us, we didn't talk to you. And, you know, the faith that we had in our guys coming up behind us was always great. And, and guess what? If there's somebody who needed a little help, just like people did it for me when I was undersized, you know, Frank Garrett, like I said, Scott Gregg, guys pulled me along, guys taught me a lot. Chad Lemke, you know, when I was sitting there getting beaten up by Chad Lemke, he was middle linebacker when I was on my, my red shirt ear. And, and the things I learned from him uh, about toughness and how if you're not ready, someone's going to come and rattle your chicklets for you. You know, all these things, we try to do that for the kids behind us and, and teach them, hey, this is what it means to be a Grizz, and this is, this is the expectations for you. And this is the speed we run practice at. And if we didn't see something we liked, you know, it wasn't always the coaches that had the police kids. It was, it was the team. And, and I think we did it in a great way. I think we did it in an encouraging way, hopefully, for everybody. Um, but, yeah, we, we expected a lot of each other. So going into that year, I think, you know, you hope guys come along like you saw the potential in them to do. And, and I don't remember having a lot of concerns. I certainly didn't know, obviously, at the start of the year that it was going to end up how it did. But if you told me that we could have won with that team, I think I would have told you absolutely we can. Your specific class, that's one of the most interesting parts about this run to the 1995 National Championship, and we'll get into that here in a minute. But your specific class, you guys were juniors when that 95 National Championship was won, but it seems like there were so many key members of that 95 team that were part of your recruiting class. Yourself, guys like playing McElmurray, Mike Boucher. You mentioned the two Butte boys, Brian Toon and Randy Riley. You know, Mike Earhart, Corey Falls. Sean Gokachia, I mean, there's a, a Ryan Thompson, a ton of guys that were were awesome Dave players. Thurman, yeah, there's, yep. Do you guys remember when Great. you maybe first noticed that lofty goals, goals that had never been achieved by the University of Montana, might be able to be within your grasp? You know, it's funny you say that because I, I remember sitting around in dorm rooms our freshman year, and we had no business talking like we were talking, but but we were sitting there looking at guys who were seniors or juniors and starters, and saying, "I'm going to be better than that guy." I'll be better than that guy by my junior year. I'll be better than that guy by my sophomore year. And, and we, this was young guys obviously being overconfident because we didn't know squat at that time. Um, it had not developed. But, but that was the kind of confidence I think we saw out of our class. I mean, we, we had talked about winning the national championship and being the team to do it um, at a very, very young age before we really had any right to say those type of things. Um, and I think that was – it was definitely a little bravado on our part, but, but I think that's what the older guys had instilled in us too, is you can be better. It wasn't about them being the greatest. It was about us as a, as a university and as a, as a, as a team representing our school well, representing our coaches who we would take a bullet for well, representing each other well, and, and, and learning how we're not all going to be there on the same day and have our best games, but guess what? I'll take up the slack for you. I'll, I have your back. Um, I know guys did that for me when I didn't play well. Uh, and I think that that kind of a mindset that just became part of your culture was, was key to the success that the university had. And, and I, I sure hope that with all those guys that came before me, um, you know, that they passed down, I, I hope we passed it down along the lines. And I think that we did. I think that obviously the, the respect that Montana gained as a football program um, 
it hopefully came from, you know, guys like us in our classes, but I know it definitely didn't, didn't start around there. And there's been so many, so many people who have carried on the tradition of Grizz football. And that's why it's, it's such a well-known program and, and people take such pride in it. You know, Dave, uh, I want to I want to hear your thoughts just about the season in general, and maybe if you have a specific game or a moment that that really stands out to you prior to, of course, the national championship game. But a lot of guys have talked about that Washington State game, which even in a loss maybe engendered some confidence. The tough game at Idaho, but also the blowout of a third ranked Boise State team early in that season, and of course, like the unparalleled run through the playoffs in Washington Grizzly Stadium all the way to Huntington. What what's stands out to you about that season in general as you went through it you know I don't I don't know if there's one game I and to be honest I'm, I'm not a guy like I talked to a lot of my friends and, and, and teammates and stuff and a lot of guys will they'll remember scores and, and and specifics on those things those types of things and and I don't know if there's a game that stands out I just remember you know there's always a, a tough thought win there's always a game where you're behind or you end up losing that, that spurs you on or those type of things and and I think that those games you mentioned were definitely big parts of it, but I think watching us build and grow and then hitting those playoffs um, and just feeling like there's, we're a freight train now. Like we went through hard times. We went through injuries. We went through, you know, tough losses at Boise. And then we beat Boise up at home that next year so bad and, and uh, kind of reversed it, reversed it on them. And, and, and all these things that just had come over time. And, and I'm not saying that it was one game or, or one specific period, but, I think just over the course of the of the 94 and 95 seasons, just to watch it build and, and guys really start to gel, um, coaches really believing in us um, and, and watching that go into the playoffs and then really just feel like, man, we, we got a full head of steam and, and we can't be beat. And, I, you know, I, early in my career, I remember going into games like, gosh, like, you know, you, you hope you play well and you hope we get it together. And, and, and when we hit that stride of the playoffs, in my mind, it was like, we knew we'd have to play hard. We absolutely weren't allowed to take anybody for granted. And I don't want anybody to misunderstand me there, but, but we knew at that point that we'd seen so many different things. We'd had, you know, big win at Oregon state. We'd played Washington state. Well, we played Oregon in the past, you know, year before that even. Um, and we knew what we were capable of, and we knew we could play with very, very good teams. And so going into the playoffs, I think um, for me that year and just watching us start to roll that I didn't, I didn't think anybody was going to stop us. And, and then, you know, it leads up to that last great battle at Marshall, um, but I think uh, I think a lot of a lot of what comes into that people don't realize that that I think that's built on years, and and not just built on you know one or two games here at least in my mind and how I look at it. I'm so interested in that dynamic though too because you were absolutely a freight train. I mean, the Montana Grizzlies, I think it was a million to zero, the three games going into the uh, national championship <laughs> game was the aggregate score. I mean, it was unbelievable what you did through that time. And yet, when you go on the field and play Marshall and in re-watching this game, as Coulter and I have now a couple of times, that front seven, especially defensively for Marshall, was just lights out. I mean, they're so big and and fast, and they got to Dave, especially in the first half a little bit. And for a team to have had so much momentum like you guys had, was it was it a bit of a new reality in that national championship game to go on the field? And now this is this is by far the best team that you've played in over the course of a season. Oh yeah, and and that was tough. I mean that's. I think all of us on the offensive line will gladly raise our hands and say that was not our best performance. Um, we had so much help from other guys and, you know, I could not have been more proud of our defensive performance that game. And obviously Dave did some great things. 
Um, and I hate that we didn't protect him more. That's that's more than you want to see a guy that valuable beat up in a game, I tell you. But um, but we hung together, you know, and, and even during our tough times of that game, I you know, I don't remember guys getting onto each other. I, you know, I remember knowing we needed to improve. We got to the sidelines. It was just a ton of communication. But but we got rattled a little bit, and I, and I'm, I do remember feeling like, holy smokes, this is, this is different than anything we'd seen. And you had been on this, this you know, roll here, and then all of a sudden it, you hit a wall quick um, of some very, very good athletes who were very well prepared for us. Um, and, and I liked our game plan going in. I think we did a great job um, preparing. Uh, there was no question that we worked hard and, and were ready to play those guys. Um, but that was just a great team, and there's no getting around it. And so it shook us for a while, but I think, you know, we proved in the end. You know, we've all watched that game, you know, probably less than some of our other games because <laughs> it wasn't as enjoyable to watch, at least as the offensive linemen. But, um, but uh, you know, we've all watched that game and talked about it. And just to see the, the confidence that we had and knowing that, hey, yeah, we, this, this has been a rough game, but we're going we're gonna to see it through. We're, gonna, we're not going to leave here with anything left in our tank. And, and we didn't, and I'm so glad it worked out the way it did, obviously. Such an amazing confluence of events, both the performance of that team, how hot you guys got, but then everything that happened around the country during the playoffs that kept sending these warm-weather powerhouse teams to Missoula to have to play Washington Grizzly Stadium. But then you guys have to endure that exact same scenario, but on the opposite side of the coin where you're playing in front of what I think still is the largest crowd to ever watch a Division One AA or FCS game. So do you remember just the intimidation factor of going to Huntington, West Virginia, or were you guys intimidated? What did it take as an athlete to shift out of playing in front of your home, sold-out crowd in you know cold Montana weather than playing on the what amounted to a road game for the national championship? Yeah, it's definitely weird. I mean, to you know, to think that you're in that situation of playing a team that's that good and, and they have home field advantage for a national championship game, you know, you're obviously not very stoked about that. But um, but I don't remember being intimidated going in. I mean, Billy Lyons was a fantastic defensive tackle for them. And watching him on film, we knew we were going to have to play well. And guess what? You play a guy like that, you're going to lose some battles. Um, but when you when you look at it and you're watching film on it, um, you're not thinking that way. You know, you're, you're, you're going into the game thinking you're going to win every every time. And but you're not shook when you lose a battle against a guy like that. But you just don't want to be you want to be on the winning side of that. And and we weren't afraid to ask for for help during that game at times when we needed it um, to handle some of the things they threw at us. The coaches did a great job of adjusting. Um, and but I, I don't remember going in and hearing anything other than crowd noise and then looking up in the stands and seeing that unbelievable group of Grizz fans that traveled from all over at a tough time of year. I mean, it's Christmas. You know, it's before Christmas time. It's a long way to go. And just being so inspired by the people that were there and, and the, the people we had talked to in the week before and all the media things that went on and, and just knowing you can just feel the, the support of everybody back home and, the, the, you know, the letters, excuse me, the letters, the, uh, the phone calls you get and the messages you get from people back home. And, and just all you wanted to do was to, to get, it out, get out of there with that win and get back home and celebrate with everybody who has always been with you along the way and, um, so I think that gave us a lot of confidence going into that game. Um, even though the confidence was shook at times, it, it never went away. And uh, it was a great place to play. I mean, I, beating a team like that at home, too, there's something awful sweet about a team that talked a lot of trash in the days before. Um, and, and to sit there and, and didn't even have to say a word, but just know that you, you took them out at their home field. And, and they were a great team, obviously. And uh, that's, that's a pretty satisfying feeling to, to know that you were able to pull that off at their house. You know, I don't know if anybody else mentioned this, but we did a, you know, kind of a team get together, you know, in the nights before the game, and they had a nice dinner, and 
somebody had the idea that most of us thought was not a great idea to do a karaoke night. And uh, <laughs> they got up there and they started singing and there was some, some songs that were sent to kind of make fun of Montana. Like we were too country and we're just thinking, man, this is West Virginia. Aren't you all supposed to be a bunch of hillbillies? <laughs> and, and so they, they started singing and, and not, not one of us was like, I, I'm not in the mood for karaoke. I want to play a football game. And so we had kind of retreated and we tried to be respectful because coach Reed wouldn't have any other way, but we kind of retreated and just said, yeah, let's, let's, let's get out of here. Let's, let's get focused on the game again. Cause this is ridiculous. And, and while it was somebody trying to create a fun atmosphere, it's a national championship game. I don't want a fun atmosphere. I want to be focused. I want to, I want to get in there and I want to hang out with my buddies. We'll have fun together. Thank you. We're not going to, we don't need to celebrate with the other team right now. And all you want them is to go down. And, and so we went back that night and again, I remember, uh, several of the coaches saying if, if that didn't give you enough ammo to be fired up for these boys, I don't know what, what did. And, and we carried a little, little fire in our bellies uh, after that night too. And I think that that spurred on us even more to, to really make sure we made an impression on them. Your business network infrastructure includes computers, servers, routers, cybersecurity, data backup, and more. Things can become very complex very quickly. Blackfoot Communications offers a managed services solution to cover your network, security, and communication needs. Blackfoot Managed Services. You focus on your business. We'll focus on your technology. Call us at 406-541-5000 or visit blackfootbusiness.com today. Blackfoot Connect to more you know the interesting in that game tough game as it was you were only down one time in that game but it happened to be with under five minutes to go in the game uh, when a touchdown was scored late to put you guys down by one point and now you have a drive that you got to execute to uh to take the lead back and you get a fourth down completion in the course of that drive and so forth but do you remember you know taking the field in that moment and what your emotion or mindset was knowing okay well we are officially now losing the football game and time is short and we have to go do it this time we have to get it done what was that like yeah there was there was definitely a sense of urgency um and and you could see it on everyone's face i knew what was on mine um, but, but there was, I, you know, I don't remember any panic. I don't remember anybody saying, Hey, we can't do this. We'd done it before. We, we'd been in situations together, uh, as brothers before. And, and I think that was a, a lot that we carried into that was we can do this. And obviously we didn't know if we were going to, but if I go back and, you know, I've watched that, that last drive several times, a lot more <laughs> than the rest of the game, but, uh, to see the extra little effort that guys gave out that made all the difference in the world, um, you know, obviously Mike Earhart's catch is something that's going to stand out. The kick is going to stand out. Dave Dickinson's throw is going to stand out, you know, in, in those crucial key plays. But the little bit of extra time that guys gave, a little bit of extra effort, the little shot, on, a little chip shot on alignment to keep them out, just that extra time that made all the difference in the world. And and uh, I think that's uh, that's kind of what I take out and what I remember from that is is you were going to sell out. You were going to make this happen. You were going to bring this back home, whether you killed yourself or not doing it. And, and uh, to see that you know, that happened and to, to feel yourself driving down the field, you know, and, and it was a familiar feeling because we had done it before. Um, and, uh, and I think it was, there was definitely the, a large urgency, like I said, but I, I don't remember feeling panicked. I felt like we could get it done. That collective sense of belief, it seems as if that's something that so many great teams across all sports, across all time periods share, but trying to cultivate it, gaining that together is so esoteric. It seems as if it's it's the the magic potion that no one really knows the specific formula for. 
Where did your guys, as a group, where did your collective sense of belief come from? I mean, it seemed like there was no doubt that Mike Earhart's going to make that catch or that Dave Dickinson's going to ha- orchestrate the game-winning drive or that Andy Larson's going to make the kick. But how did you guys cultivate that collective confidence together? You know, it's probably, it's probably different for different guys on kind of where they got their motivation from or, or you know, their, their inner drive and, and those type of things, so to speak. But I think, um, you know, it's, 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 it's putting in the hard work day in and day out um, seeing each other, putting yourself through pain, through the hot, you know, summer days, um, and, and the, the playing in those cold games, playing when you're sick, guys playing injured, watching guys, you know, upperclassmen when you were a pup, watching them put themselves through, you know, a lot of discomfort and, and watching them reach down and pull guys up. And I think all of that, just if you got the right group of guys, and we obviously had the right group of leaders um, and in our coaching staff, but to – to have that just become the norm and that's what's expected here. Um, and, and other, other places try it. I wish I could tell you there's a magic thing. I mean, if I was coaching, I, I don't know how I would necessarily build it, but, but I think it starts in a lot of places. It starts in the kids you believe in. It starts in the giving underdogs like me a chance. It starts with obviously trying to get the, the big recruits in as well. And then the guys that are the well-known products that are going to, to turn out, you know, we're going to be good players for you if they stay healthy and, and so, like I said, I think there's a lot of different ways guys come in, but I think when they came in, whether they were a, a Dave Kempert who nobody knew was even going to work out or a, a, you know, three, four-star recruit type of a kid. Um, I think when you came in, you, you were family and, and you took care of each other and you were given, you know, the fair opportunities, you were given great coaching and what you did with it was up to you, but gosh, if you struggle a little bit, someone's going to be there to help you. And I think that, that was the big thing, I think, for me. And, you know, if I look back on it and I try and, and determine why we had such great success, I think there's there's so many things that come into a team like that that you can't narrow it down to one thing. Um, but we did a lot of things very, very well. And I think it was it was bits and pieces of, of you know, who you brought in, the types of kids you brought in, their parents, you know, uh, and, and how involved they got. You got a great community like Missoula that, people packed the stadiums, even if it got expensive for them during Christmas. And they took these trips to follow you out of state and, and they, you know, they took care of you and, and, and as a teammate, you took care of each other. I think that's the, that's a big part of it is, is you just had such confidence in, in yourself because of who was around you. Um, and I think that made all the difference in the world. One of the things that's been so fun to me about this is is hearing guys talk about what that championship has meant to them. And every every guy, every player, every coach is going to have a kind of a different sort of experience or maybe take something away that's a little bit different, even though the championship is just one championship. But for you, you're just so heavily ingrained in the University of Montana and your dad's working, you know, at the university and in the department. Your brother already played there. What was it like for you to deliver – the school's first national championship in football, you know, back to Missoula when you got home, having, you know, that, that level of sort of familial integration that you've had that the Kempfert family has had at the University of Montana? Well, I think, you know, obviously there's such a sense of pride with thinking that we were the first ones to be able to do it. Um, I think more important to a lot of us is that not only were we able to do it, but we saw it happen after us. We saw traditions carried on that, were started before us. Some of them were traditions. Maybe we started in, in our four and five years there. Um, but to have my family, you know, obviously ingrained and in, in being Grizzlies from day one and, 
um, that, that meant a lot to me, you know, and I got to see my brother go on to be a fantastic basketball player for the Grizz and watch them win championships. And, and for a while there, I mean, it was, it was, if you were a Grizz, you were a champion was your mindset. And, and so for us to, to be a part of that and to carry that on and, and you know, and, and I remember Don Reed saying, Hey, if you win this sucker, it's going to be on the press box. It's going to be on the rings on your fingers. And, and, you, you know, you were hoping that was going to come true and, and you, you were believing it, but to see it actually, you know, manifest and to, to put that ring on your finger and to, to see the banners fly and to come home for homecomings and have people remember, you know, what that team meant to them and, and to hear stories. And just like the players have different stories, people in town have their great memories. And, um, you know, I think Mick Dennehy did something great for me and, and I was a very, probably overly serious player at times and, and sometimes that worked to my benefit but he reminded me before my senior year just to, to to look around a little bit and really take in the whole game um and he goes watch what happens when you guys score a little bit have some fun out there and don't just run back to the bench and start studying you know and, and talk about what we can do better and and I did I enjoyed my senior year a lot and I think I, I took some of his advice to heart and and the reason I'm bringing that up now is is I think I've learned that was a great lesson for me to enjoy the successes obviously work on the you know, bounce back from your losses and things, but, but I have that, you know, I have Montana Grizz national championship stuff in my, in my office right now. And, and it's a great reminder of, of what a group of guys who believes in one cause with a great mission can do. Um, and, and not only players, but just like the business world, you got an organization and you got everything from your CEO all the way down to the people that are working at 3am cleaning up after y'all. And to know that it takes that whole team, it's, it's the, it's the whole process of how do you become great? Are you great at this time of day only? Are you great all the time? Are you working to improve only when you see things go bad? Or do you have a culture that's constantly working to improve even on your best days? Um, And I think that's what I carry out of it for me is, is not only the, the the satisfaction of knowing that we did something that nobody else had done at that time. um, And that you've always wanted to do, but, but I think I carry out of that is, is what I carry with me the, the rest of my life is knowing that, you had a band of brothers that, that took care of each other, believed in each other. And I'll never forget those guys. And even the guys you didn't pal around with or were necessarily your great friends. Um, I remember every one of them. I remember what they did and what they contributed. And, and some of them, it might've just been in the locker room. Some of them might've been, you know, just on a Friday night when you need to just have a buddy to talk to or whatever. But, and some of them obviously made the contributions they made on the field, but, I think that's that's what I carry out of it is what a group of determined people can do when they all believe in each other and they, and they help each other out and and that's that's what I try to cultivate in my family life and and also in my my business world. Colter, in 1993, the Grizz football team was looking to host its first playoff game of the decade and just its second season of playoffs in school history. As we know, you got to have some financial backing to guarantee a home game, and former First Security Bank president Bill Boucher stepped up, spearheading a group of local business owners to guarantee that bid for UM Athletics, and that commitment from First Security Bank to UM has never wavered. Bill Boucher, Gordy Fix, several other business owners around the city of Missoula certainly had a huge influence in stepping up, certainly some of the first true believers in what Grizz football could become and what they could mean to the Missoula community. Two years later, in 1995, the University of Montana had turned that local optimism into national prominence. The Grizz won the Division I AA National Championship, the first national title in the history of the university, and 25 years later, First Security Bank is still proud to sponsor the Grizzlies. 
First Security Bank, a presenting sponsor for Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic 1995 season. First Security Bank, proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. Yourself and everybody else that was juniors on that 95 team, you guys then had the distinct experience of not only winning the national championship, but then playing your final season as Grizzlies as the defending national champions. And I think that's an interesting thing because every Grizz team since 1995 has had among the highest expectations in the United States of America and all of college football. And that group sort of set that tone, but you guys were the first ones then to be the Grizz that had the targets on their backs, to be the Grizz that everybody wanted to take down, to be the number one team in the country that everybody was gunning for. What were the biggest differences you remember between 1995 and 1996, your senior year? You know, I think right off the bat, the first thing that comes to mind is, boy, we got a target on us now. Everybody wants to take down the champion. Um, And so that led into a lot of preparation, I think, maybe even harder than we prepared before, which is hard to believe um, on our team. I think guys guys really knew that we wanted to go get that second one. Um, And we'd been there before, and so now there was that another uptick in that confidence of we've done it before, we had as much faith in, in, in that team as we did, which sounds crazy because you lose Dave Dickinson. You lose a lot of players that were such big contributors to that team and, and, and helped you win a national championship. But we had so much faith in the guys behind us. And I remember, honestly, going into the, um, the uh, Oregon State game that we won and being so dang proud of, of Brian Ayat. Um, and watching, here's a guy that had never started before. He came in with fire. And he played so well. And I remember thinking, uh-oh, we got, we got another guy who's going to play well for us. People are in trouble this year because we're going to roll. And I remember feeling very, very confident that we could, we could head up back to that championship game again um, with the team that we had. So uh, it, it, was a, it was a different mindset. I mean, you still the preparation and everything you put in. But I think having that little bit of, of confidence of, of knowing that when you went home, you still had that ring on the shelf um, to look at and remind yourself of where you wanted to go again was, was a little bit of a change, obviously, from the previous year of just hoping. Now you know you could do it. It was just whether or not you could string it back to back. Dave, you go from being the the singularly smallest offensive lineman in the entire uh, program <laughs> at a one double A school to, uh, to 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 making your NFL dream come true and playing in the league. What was it like leaving the University of Montana, and how did that transition work for you initially to go into the league? You know, it was it was obviously a dream. Um, I remember when guys, some guys showed up at practice. Um, I think it was a Buffalo Bills guy at the time, and, and he showed up, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, who's, who's he watching today? Who are they looking at today? And then he's like, you, you dummy. You know, like, they're looking at you. And so I still didn't have in my mind that that was, that that was something I could attain. You know, I, I, yeah. I've tried – I've always had to be a guy that just focused on the next day. Um, I wasn't this great talent, you know. And, and so for me to – you know, I just had to be a lunch pill guy. I just had to, you know, do what I did day in and day out. And, and if it was going to happen, it was going to happen. And, and I kind of, you know, treated my opportunities in the NFL just like I treated my, you know, my career when I got to Montana. It was like, all you can do is take care of yourself, work hard, put your time in. And and so when it, when it came through and, you know, I got some calls in the, in the later rounds and didn't get drafted, but got a chance to go free agent to Seattle right off the bat and, and be under Howard Mudd, who's, you know, up there with top coaches ever on offensive linemen in the NFL. Absolutely. Um, to get an opportunity to go and, and get that opportunity. I mean, it's a dream come true. And, and I can even say this, you know, with the perspective of, of a lot of years now, 
you know, it was hard when I got done playing ball. Um, I never really saw a whole lot of the field in the NFL and was a practice squad guy. And, um, and I'm not going to say there's not a little bit of a, a bitterness to me still that I know I could have played longer um, and and feel I should have. But I tell you what, there's a lot of guys that were better than me that never even got the opportunity I did. So I absolutely have nothing but a, but a grateful heart for the opportunities I've had, um, the guys that I've met, the teams I've played for. I mean, uh, it was under Dennis Erickson um, at Seattle, was under Tom Coughlin in Jacksonville, um, and one of the best coaches I've ever been around, uh, Dick Vermeil, when I was at the Rams. And the lessons you learn from guys like that um, are just, they're priceless. And, and you carry them with you. And again, it's not just about football. It's, it's about team and community um, and then how to build greatness in yourself, but also to build it around you. And, and so, you know, even though my NFL career was, you know, three teams in four years and done, um, it, it was absolutely something that, that I'll carry the rest of my life with me. And, and you know, I don't know if I would have played more or been a little better player in the NFL, if I'd look at it differently or not. But, but um, at this point in my life, you know, I look at it and say, gosh, what, what a blessing it was, you know, to, to get a chance to do that. But the, the true gratefulness comes from the chance I took on a skinny kid out of Hellgate um, because me not playing the NFL would not have been a tragedy. But not getting a chance to be a Montana Grizz, I think, would have because that's, that's what I carry with me more than anything, more than the fame that kind of comes along with, you know, getting an opportunity to play in the NFL and those type of things. I, I think, you know, being a Grizz was undoubtedly the best, the best time of my life in my sporting career. Well, let's bring this thing full circle in your post-playing days. First of all, if I understand it right, probably the best thing you did in the NFL was you found yourself a, a Florida gal, right? And uh, well, you were in Jacksonville, <laughs> and uh, and you get married now. But you came back to Montana to finish up school or to go to to do physical therapy stuff, right, at the University of Montana. Now, were you together at that time? Did she come with you? And what was it like for her if she did to to come from uh, from Florida, which is a little different than Montana is? Yeah. So, I actually, I got I got cut in 2000. Um, I had applied to PT school and got in, but turned it down to go play ball um, and then uh, got back into PT school after I got cut. And so I went back to Montana, and she was still in school. So she was uh, – she was actually, I tell my kids this all the time, and, and I said, people like to talk football down in the South, but your mom was a way better athlete than dad. So my wife's a former rhythmic gymnast, and at one point was ranked nationally, and, and uh, it's not a very popular sport in the United States, but she did the balls, the hoops, the ribbons, all that stuff. It was a fantastic wow. elite-level athlete, actually trained in Bulgaria and overseas and, and all this stuff, and, and uh, I just pray my children get her flexibility. <laughs> one right. of them does. The other one's unfortunately <laughs> stiff as a board like I am. But – uh but she was a great athlete. So anyway, but she was finishing up teaching dance, coaching dance. Um, and she was actually a cheerleader for the Jaguars. And so we had to do some illegal dating for a while. Cause that could have got her fired. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I tell you what, the, the, the comfort comes in knowing that, I mean, as an offensive lineman at three fifteen, you're not the most attractive guy on the team. So, uh, so for to, to know that I got cut and she still wanted me, made me feel, you know, at least she wasn't a cleat chaser. She was, she loved me for who I was, whether it was playing ball or not. And, and, and uh, so we did one year apart. I went back to PT school, um, got married, and then we did, I finished up my second year of my master's and then uh, knew that we wanted to kind of get a little bit closer to home for her and, and just kind of make our mark on a new, new city. And Blaine McElmurray, who was one of my roommates, one of my best friends, he played for the Titans for a while, and he had mentioned, mentioned Middle Tennessee and the Nashville area. And, 
and uh, we had my wife had some family from up here, and we figured we'd just give it a shot, and, and it's worked out great. But yeah, my wife, you know, when it snowed in June, our first year, we had a snowstorm in June, my first year being married, and that's that's all she wrote. My wife was like, "Where are we heading? <laughs> I, was, I wasn't gonna fly." So like, I knew it was going to be a quick quick compromise or uh, or we may be living in different cities. <laughs> I'll stay with you when you're not playing football, but I will not stay with you through winter in the summer, right? Is that kind of – Yeah, yeah, that's, that might have been it. I don't know. That was, that was a rough on her. She, she had never quite uh, seen anything like that. She called me from, uh, from the mall uh, the first time we even had like a light dusting of snow. She's like, hey, I need you to come get me. I'm like, what happened? Car break down? She's like, no, there's, there's snow. And I said, oh, my gosh, it's like a, a dusting. You know, it's nothing. And she's like, it's freaking me out. I've never drove on, driven on snow and ice before. I'm like, what ice? There's no ice. And, uh, and so I, I drove to the mall, and I said, listen, like, I'm not driving you home. I said, but we're going to give you a little lesson, and, and you'll get, I promise you you're going to survive the winter. Because at that time, it was just overwhelming to her to think that things were going to hit negative 10 at some point, you know. So, but it worked out. She stayed with me a year, and, and – uh, while I while I could be back in Missoula in a heartbeat and and know I'd be happy there, uh, we love where we are and 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 uh, my wife's just been an absolute blessing to me and and it, it was definitely worth the move. Give the people the exact specifics of what you've been doing as far as work goes. So I was a physical therapist for a lot of years with one company. Um, uh, a real blessing that happened in my life this last year was. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I got asked to be the director of rehab services for the Bone and Joint Institute of Tennessee, which is a group of 16 uh, physicians and mostly orthopedic surgeons um, who had left uh, Vanderbilt University's uh, system to, to build their own. And uh, again, just another, another great team that I've been able to be a part of. It was a group of doctors who had, had a little bit of a smaller practice, um, but had done things the right way, were great guys, great teachers uh they're nationally known um physicians right now and and they said man we, we want to get back to doing things the way we used to and, and so they they started this bone and joint institute um and they'd never had physical therapy before so they brought me in a, a year ago april or excuse me a year ago february um to open up uh, a year ago april uh, a brand new physical therapy department um, which includes occupational therapy and uh and physical therapy and we've opened up two locations we're about to open up a third and just uh uh, like I said, it's just a big blessing. We, we we're active. I, I, I love the active lifestyle. I still get to be around athletes. We have athletic trainers that are in uh, a majority of the big high schools around here. So I still get my Friday night lights in and, and get to participate and, and be around sports and athletes, but also get to treat just the people of our community and, and try and do what I've always, you know, try to do is just, you know, not only try to be great in my profession, but to to be in a role now as the director of rehab to help others be great and to, to better serve our, our community. So um, it's, it's been a, a great opportunity for me. And, and just like anything, we're always trying to, to work and improve and, and, and hopefully become a, a real destination site for, for not only our community, but for the region, for, for people to come and get care from our physicians. So um, great job. Love it. And, and what a rewarding career it's been. Um, and uh, like I said, I, I still get to be around the athletes and, and gosh, you know, I, I was joking with one of you guys the other day about how, you know, I feel like glory days from Bruce Springsteen could be playing <laughs> in the background some days because, uh, you know, kid comes in, starts talking football and I could I could go for all day. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, you're here for rehab, aren't you? Because it, it's such an exciting thing to, to, to be around, you know, and see, see a kid with the fire in their eyes like, you know, you had and and uh, to help them not only recover from injury, but maybe make them a little better athlete and give them an opportunity to, to go and, and play somewhere, too. So. It's a real rewarding career. Well, David, get you out of here on this. 
as mentioned earlier, the 1995 National Championship game was a paramount moment in the history of the University of Montana, University of Montana football program, city of Missoula, western Montana, and the state of Montana all the way around. It changed so much of what where we live now and what people engage in. It changed so much, and it really set the standard for what Grizz football would become over the next 15 and then 25 years. How much pride do you guys take as a group for sort of setting the bar for what became then one of the most dominant football programs and one of the most dominant runs college football has ever seen? Oh, just tremendous pride and just gratefulness and just humbled that that we got to be a part of it. I think, um, you know, like I said, there's there's so many things that, that come up to being a national championship team and, and, and having a program and the facilities and all those things. But um, it, it is it is so nice to, you know, you say 25 years and it just blows my mind that it's been that long because I still see us as a bunch of, you know, young faced guys. And then we all get on a zoom and go, Holy, you know, crap, my hairline's back, you know, bad. And look at that guy. He's put on some pounds and, 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 you know, and we look at each other and we kind of laugh about, gosh, we're getting up there now, but it's hard to be 25 years out and, and feel like it was just yesterday. And it, it really does. It, it's um, you take as much pride now as you ever did. And, and knowing that you got to be part of something, that not only was a great year, but led to great years after that, and a great experience for the kids that came after you, and and still is going today. And, and you know, you just you get so excited. You see Bobby come back and coaching, and, and I hate it for the kids this year. And obviously, it's, it's a rough year for waterways, and there's a lot bigger things than sports going on out there. But but your heart just kind of breaks for what's going on right now, and um, and you miss it so much because you, you just know that this is this is someone's opportunity. But I think. Uh, you know, knowing that, that that doesn't go away because of a bad season or losing to the Cats a few times or, um, you know, you, you don't lose that kind of tradition quickly and you don't lose it certainly by, you know, a, a hiccup with the, with the pandemic going on. And, it, you know, because it, it's a small thing compared to what's going on in the big picture of life and illness and those type of things. But, but they're not going to lose any, any tradition in Montana. I know that. And they're not going to allow that to happen. So I think knowing that we were a part of that, um, and then that, that grows and, and we grow it. I've converted so many people to Grizz fans down in, in the South, and that's not easy to turn an SEC guy into watching, watching Grizz Cat games. But, boy, they, they watch it and they, they get it. They, they see the crowds. They see the, the, the tailgate parties and the, the satellite parties that we have down here. And, and I got a lot of people wearing copper and gold that had no idea who they were before I moved to Middle Tennessee. So I'm, I'm very proud to, to say I'm, I'm passing along to people. I've made fans out of people you never thought would be fans. And, and that's what the Grizzlies do to people, though. I think people get it, and they, they see the, the pride that Montana takes in, in, in the Grizz. And, and uh, I'm very, very proud to say I got to be a part of that for a short time. Dave Kempfert, national champion and Grizz great. Dave, thank you so much. We appreciate you being with us. Hey, thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, is presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank. Rate, review, subscribe, and listen to Grizz Greats on any podcasting platform, Google, Apple, Spotify, Transistor. We've got all the bases covered for you there. If downloading podcasts isn't your thing, we've also made it very easy with your very own Grizz Greats website, grizzgreats.com. You go there, you can listen to every episode right there in your browser. Just click the play button on the episode you're interested in, and you're all set. Be on the lookout for future Grizz Greats episodes as they are released every week through the 2020 calendar year. 
Our thanks to Dave Kempfert in this episode for joining us and sharing his story, and our thanks to you for listening.